So just before we get into the message, I have to tell you a quick story as we're singing about fear here of something that happened to me last night. To give credit where credit's due, I've had something coming to me for a long time that's been overdue, and it happened last night. So I was here at 9.30 preparing for this morning and wrestling through this message, thinking that I was alone in the building, when all of a sudden through the side door, Corey and Dorita Freezing came running into the room, and I'm pretty sure, if what I'm told is correct, I jumped here three times and then started screaming. And so, whom shall we fear has fresh meaning for me this morning, and my heart is still pounding in my chest as I recall the horrors of last night. Over the course of my life, I've had the privilege of going to many different youth conferences, but perhaps the one that sticks out the most occurred in November of the year 2000. I was in Southwest Ontario on my internship, and I was hanging out with a group of kids that were just phenomenal. Uh, we had really had a great couple of months together, and we were enjoying just the riches of Jesus as we pursued him uh, as kind of a family. And, and as we got ready towards this conference in November, the kids had told me that we had to go. It was a phenomenal conference called Acquire the Fire, and it was going to be life-changing. So much so that we had been praying for one student in particular, who also shared the name of Aaron, um, that he would, at this conference, pray to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Acquire the Fire was exactly what it sounds like. It was a conference where students would go for two reasons. One was to hear the evangelistic message of Jesus, that Jesus came to die for our sins and that he died on the cross and that he rose again and lives at the right hand of the Father. Uh, students would have the opportunity to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But the second reason was that students would go to Acquire the Fire, to get stirred up and encouraged in the faith and then leave that place on fire for Jesus. And it really was an amazing conference. And I remember getting on the bus, and there was a ton of hype and anticipation. Um, this was going to be a weekend where this young man, Aaron, we believed, was going to pray to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so when we got into the first session uh, on the first night in Hamilton in Cops Coliseum, and the, and the guitar player played the first chord, and the worship band started to do their thing, uh, we were hungry to see God move in our lives. And so we worshiped, and these kids lifted their hands, and they were crying out to God, and they were excited because this was supposed to be Aaron's night. And then the speaker got up, and the Holy Spirit was, was present in that place, and I saw my kids uh, worshiping in ways that we hadn't seen previous to uh, this moment. And uh, the speaker gets up, and he starts to share, and he starts to wax and wane as as preachers often do, and as he was coming towards the end, you could anticipate that this moment was going to come where there would be an altar call or a presentation for kids to receive Jesus. And as Ron Luce, the speaker, shared, and he got to this moment, he said, if you're here tonight and you want to pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there was just, there was, uh, there was well, prayer, there was intercessor, intercession taking place, and our kids were just desperate before God, but Aaron didn't move in his seat. And we left Cops Coliseum that night, and there was tears in people's eyes, probably my own included, and we were disappointed. We were like, man, we really thought this was going to be Aaron's night. We really thought that he was going to join the family of God. So we went home, drove back to Ingersoll, Ontario, where we were living, home of GM Cars, uh, Cheese, and a lot of really great Dutch people. And we went to bed that night, and we're praying and, and just trusting and thought, Man, maybe, maybe this night wasn't Aaron's night, but we have 24 more hours to really do battle and to really pray that God would work in Aaron's heart. So we go to the youth conference the next day, and it was full of all the great things that youth conferences have. Great, crazy fun, bouncy castles, greasy pizza, 
and then the work of Jesus. And once again, as the chord struck for the first time, there was something, you know, something powerful in that room. The presence of the Holy Spirit was so tangible that night. It was as though he was standing right in front of us. Like it was like we could have seen him. And I watched my kids with even more passion and even more vigor, uh, just raising their hands, completely surrendered to Jesus. Some of them started to fall to their knees. One kid was laid out in the middle of the aisle. I don't know how he could have, but there he was, worshiping Jesus, completely surrendered, completely abandoned, desperate to see Jesus move in his own heart and in the lives of the students that were there. And Ron Luce got up, and as he began to share and as he began to speak, you could just sense that God was going to do something powerful that night. And as he shared and as he, as, he, uh, as he gave different examples and as we walked through Scripture together, finally he came to that, that moment where he was going to invite people to receive Jesus as their Savior. And so he said something along the lines of this. He said, if you're here tonight and you've heard the good news of Jesus, I want to invite you to stand and come down to the front here and get on your knees and pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And in that moment, Aaron Howe stood to his feet and he went to the aisle and he went down. And it was like, it was like a herd of students just got out of their seats. Thousands of kids that night filled the aisles of Cops Coliseum. You couldn't tell on the floor where the seats were and where people were. It was just completely flooded with people. They came up the aisles and there was our boy Aaron who we had prayed for. He was on his knees and he was praying and he came back and he had tears in his eyes. We hugged him and we embraced him and we were cheering. And that last song, it was like we were in the heavens itself. It's like a picture out of Isaiah 6. The cherubim and the seraphim and the throne room of Jesus just bowing and the place was on fire, friends. It was unreal. And we, we left that place. They, they said, okay, God bless you. You're free to go. And we like floated through the, through the foyer of Cops Coliseum. And we got to the doors, and I'm standing there with Aaron, and he looks up at me with young, innocent eyes, and he says, this changes everything. Friends, we're in this series in 1 Peter. And as we're here, Peter is writing a letter to Christians who have had their lives powerfully and dynamically changed by Jesus. But as they've stepped into the real world, as they're living their life, they're facing a lot of opposition. This space that they lived in in Asia Minor wasn't a friendly place for Christians to live. There was opposition, there was persecution, there was suffering that was taking place. And Peter writes, writes to this group of Christians, he sends this letter, and he says, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but remember who you are. Remember what's changed. Remember the work of Jesus. And even though it's hard, there's victory in darkness. There's hope in exile. And yes, you feel like foreigners in a familiar land. But there's a different way that you can live so that you will know light in darkness, so that you will know the abiding and ongoing presence of Jesus to give you hope to step forward, even though it's hard. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to be speaking about holiness this morning. And about the importance of living in close relationship with Jesus, but living in response to the work of Jesus in a way that will fuel our faith as we step forward in a world that very similarly, maybe not as dark or as tight as that world in Asia Minor, in modern day Turkey, where these Christians lived, but in a country, in a society that more and more is oppressing Christians and making it difficult to live here. 
First Corinth or First Peter rather, chapter one, starting in verse thirteen. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me here this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking in Brooks, and I did something I used to do a long time ago. And I want us to do this here today. I want us to stand as we read the Word of God. And so, would you stand with me out of reverence and respect for the Word, and to help our hearts focus? Let's read this together, and corporately join together as we receive God's Word here today. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse thirteen. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves, be By obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is what the, and this is, and this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and of all deceit, of hypocrisy, of envy, and of slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. You may be seated. Peter's speaking here in a context, as I said, that is starting to feel similar to the world that we're living here in today in Canada. The walls are pressing in, and these people were getting discouraged and worn down. And so he speaks to them, and and he addresses to them in a land where they are living as foreigners in a place that they were familiar with. And it's as challenging and as difficult as it is, he is giving to them a foundation for hope that's rooted in Jesus. Last week, Pastor Brian started this series, and as he talked about how we can find hope in our suffering, he brought to our attention the the powerful reality that, that our hope, that our lives are transformed, that victory is found, that light in darkness is discovered when our suffering is rooted in Jesus. That at the core of everything we do, we need to invite Jesus to the center, and as we do, we can start to find pathways through these difficult times that we live in. And now here again, Peter starts to flesh this out, and he starts here in verse 13 with significant and and foundational words. As he's laid out this foundation of bringing Jesus to the center, he says here, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That word, therefore, is critical, and it would have spoken powerfully to this early audience because as he's just laid this foundation, now he's saying, Now pay attention. Now get this. Now wake up to this reality because I'm going to start to show you the way moving forward. And so when he says, therefore, that's a big wake-up call to them. And then even stronger than that, when he says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, 
he's saying to them, this is of utmost importance. And once again, as Peter starts to flesh out um, this foundational piece, he starts to lay out the work of Jesus. And he starts to talk about the power and the significance of having Jesus at the center of our stories, of being in relationship with him, not just for a salvific moment that happened whenever it might have happened, but ongoing and regularly moving forward. Back in the fall, if you remember, I talked about the kingdom gospel, about the reality that Jesus didn't just save us for, for, from hell or save us to give us fire insurance. He, he did that, and his death and his, and his resurrection on the cross broke the curse of sin. It invited us into heaven. It gave to us the Holy Spirit. But with that, he, also sa he saved us, but he also sanctified us. And when we live in relationship with him, he transforms and he shapes our stories moving forward. He works in us, and, and he helps us each and every single day. And it's because of his work that Peter says here, we need to start to live differently. As we understand relationship with Jesus in salvation and in sanctification, that he's regularly a part of our lives, and that, he, and that we are journeying with him, he establishes a new bar or a new standard that we are to aim our lives at, and we are to live uh, in out of response to the work that he's done for us. Not because we'll somehow become better people, but because we love him so much and we want to do everything we can to live in close, tender relationship with him. So in verse 15 here, when, when Peter says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. What he does here is he really answers um, one question in two different ways. And the first is that when he says this, he invites us to find hope in the one who is doing the ongoing work uh, of transforming us and shaping us. He's inviting us into continued relationship with Jesus. Not a works-based theology, but a, relational, a relationally-based holiness, a response out of love. And the second is that when we live holy lives... We will find victory. We will find hope in the dark spaces of life because the light that is shone um, through our lives will, will be shone directly towards Jesus. And when we live holy lives, it will force us to look to Jesus and help us to have better perspective uh, of the journeys that we're on. And rather than submitting to fear, as the light is shone upon Jesus, we will experience the lift of the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. And this comes in stark contrast to the kind of holiness that religion was presenting in that day. Friends, there's a big difference in this world that we live in um, between living a holy life and submitting to religious holiness. There's a big difference when we make deliberate choices to live set apart and obediently live and pursue Jesus than when we do things to try to intentionally make ourselves better people. This is as touching on works-based theology, that somehow we can do things or we can earn the favor of God because of, of the things that we do. And Jesus broke this. When he was on the cross and he cried out, it is finished, he broke the rule of religion in life. He, yes, he saved us from our sins. Yes, he broke the curse of sin. Yes, he helped us to move forward and he declared us righteous. But one of the things that was destroyed was the effect and rule of religion. 
And so oftentimes, as, as there's calls to holiness, we can walk a fine line, and because we're people who, who love the attention drawn upon ourselves, in humanity, we love to take credit. We love to, to let the light shine upon us. Because we love that, we sometimes can fall into the trap of living in very religious ways, of standing on the street corners like the Pharisees did, and, and spouting out our righteous words or, or showing people the great things we've done that have made us worthy and, and honorable in God's sight. There's a big difference in this world between religious holiness and then living a holy life in response to Jesus. And our desire to be holy comes not because we can do things to make us good, but because Jesus has already done that work. When he said, it is finished, we were declared to be holy. We were given an identity. And this is what Paul, or sorry, what Peter's speaking to here. He's saying, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't set your hope on something that can be bought. But rest in Jesus. Walk away from the empty way of your ancestors and recognize that by the precious blood of Christ, um, that you have received grace upon grace that you have been created anew, that you can find hope in darkness. And it comes as we understand that there is something that is different in us, and that difference is Jesus. It moves us away from religious practice, and it moves us into a loving, relational response. And this is exactly the space that Jesus wants us to live in, and it's exactly the hope that Peter wants to instill into this early church. That because of the work of Jesus... Our lives are redeemed, and we can walk away from the empty promises of religion, and we can step into the rich truths of relationship. It's a powerful reality, friends, and it's something that becomes the foundational piece for holiness in, in this ancient world and in our world today. I don't know what kind of cloud is hanging over you. Uh, I know some of the clouds that sometimes hang over me or that often hang over me. And the way forward in that, the way we find hope, the way that we find success, the way that we can find victory doesn't come because I might say a, good, a few good things or throw in a, a few extra coins into the, the plate as it goes by. The way that we find hope is when we come to Jesus and we rest in him. The problem with it is that there's a fine line between living in a very religious works-based way and living in a relational way. And we've got to be careful how we navigate that. But when we can understand that our identity is, is in Jesus, that, that the religion is, is the way of the past, it's empty and it's hollow. And when we can rest in relationship, we will find pathways to move forward. We will find hope in the exile. And we will find victory in the darkness. Well, Peter goes on here. Well, let me just finish by saying, so be very careful of your motivation. If your motivation is, is, is taking pride in the things that people are saying about you or people are seeing in you, there might be a check in your heart that you need to check. But if your motivation is that Jesus gets glorified, then it's probably a safe space to step forward in and continue forward with. And continue to live in submission and obedience to, as Jesus calls you to that space and to that bar that he's shown to you in life. Well, Peter goes on here in verses 20 
22 and following. And, and as he's established this foundation for holiness, uh, that uh, being the character of God and the cost of salvation, um, he, he leads us to understand that there's a consequence for holiness as well. Now you hear the word consequence, and we often think of it in a negative connotation. When we were kids and we acted out, probably there was a good chance that you got a swat on the backside and a scolding. Ron's backside's still red from all the ones he got. There's a consequence to that. We associate that with a negative space, right? Um, when something happens, when you break the law, there's a consequence that comes with that. You're going to get put in jail. You're going to get fined. Or if you're like me, you're going to get some speeding tickets. There's a consequence. But what, what Peter lays out here is actually a very positive consequence. It's a positive reaction. It's a positive result. It's that when we pursue holiness and we journey with others, it actually brings us together. It, it unites our hearts. It blesses us, but it also blesses others. In verse 22 here, when Peter says, now that you have purified yourselves, what he's addressing is this state of our true identity. That word purity in the Greek is one that indicates that people are living within the state of their true identity. And Peter's just established this. Your identity is in Jesus, church, he says. Your identity is that the work has been done. Your identity is that you are going to live in loving response to the work of Jesus in your life, and you're going to find joy and victory in that. So step forward in this. When we religiously pursue holiness, friends, we draw, as I said, attention to ourselves, and it's like we're standing on a stage or a street corner. I'm just pretending this is the street corner today. We're standing on the stage, and there's one light that's shining on us, and it isolates us. It, it makes us just kind of stand out, and that's the, that's the heart, that's the desire of it. Our heart loves the attention. But when we pursue uh, holiness through a relationship with Jesus, when we submit and we obey the things that he calls us to, um, as we observe and as we witness his life, and as the Holy Spirit calls us to that, when we pursue that, it brings community together. And this pursuit of holiness will strengthen and encourage not just ourselves, but the Christian community. It will give us a love for others. And rather than leading us to live a life of judgment or criticism of others as as uh, journeying deeper into the hard places that we live, it will shine our lights on Jesus and it will help us to find hope together as we share in the transforming work of the gospel and as we live differently, sharing the joys of victory together. I met Dwight about 15 years ago and what I didn't know at the time when I met Dwight was that he was a man that struggled with alcoholism. He was a phenomenal contractor he could build the straightest walls, and he could build them the fastest, more than anybody else. But when he went home at night, before he went to the dinner table to have supper, he would slip into his office, and he would start to drink. And what started as one or two drinks quickly escalated to, to three, four, five, six, seven, eight drinks before dinner. In the early days that I knew him, he always had a red nose, and I didn't understand why. Now I do. He would uh, frequently be inebriated at the dinner table. And then after the meal was done, he'd go back into his study and drink some more. And more and more as he struggled with this, this problem with being drunk, people started to notice. And so one day, Dwight and Armand, another friend, were driving up to a camp for a work day. And Armand 
courageously just looked at him and he said, when are you going to stop fighting this? When are you going to stop the drinking and stop, and stop living the lie? And in a Holy Spirit moment, Dwight looked at Armin and he said, I'm so tired of the secret sin in my life and I just want to surrender it to God. So I don't know what the prayer was because I wasn't there, but it was a very simple prayer. Something like, Jesus, help my brother. He's struggling and he wants to be set free. And Dwight prayed something like, God, I'm tired of this fight. Would you take this away from me? And in an instant, God took away Dwight's addiction. A year later, on October the 14th, Dwight would share his testimony in our church. He would sit right over here in this, in this section. It was a room extremely similar to this one. He would sit right over here. And he came up onto the stage and he shared his story of how he had struggled with this sin, but now God had set him free and, and he just wanted to praise Jesus and give him the credit and the glory and the honor for the, the radical transformation that had taken place in his life. And so he shared this testimony and you could see the lift of the cross in our church. People were encouraged, people were stirred, they applauded him. He came year after year after year after year to share his story on our stage. Every year, we never denied him the opportunity to share his story. And for many years after... After his testimony was done, he would go sit down and the worship band would start to play. And they played the song Jesus Messiah by Chris Tomlin. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the chorus goes like this. It goes, all of my hope is in you. All of my hope is in you. All the glory to you, Jesus, the light of the world. And there Dwight would stand with his arms uh, passionately up in the air. You could see the lift of the church. Roland would sit at the piano as she led worship and weep as Dwight was a man who'd been powerfully transformed and powerfully changed by the work of Jesus in his life. And it lifted us, friends. We left that place as on fire as Aaron Howe from Acquire the Fire 15 years or whatever, or a few, five years previous to that. It does something in us when we corporately come together and pursue holiness. It changes us, it encourages us, it motivates us to find hope in the darkest spaces of life. So is life hard? Yes. Is this world getting, becoming more and more difficult to live as a Christian? Yes. But is the hope gone? No. Is there, is there victory for the darkness? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Absolutely, yes, because when we pursue a relationship with Jesus because of what he's done for us, and when we share in this together in community, like this wonderful one that we have here in Udak, or as the bride of Christ here in Lethbridge, or southern Alberta, or wherever the case might be, when we pursue this together, we experience the power and the lift of the cross. And there's almost nothing in this world that can lift us as when we keep our eyes on Jesus together. Just this past week, I've had two people reach out to me and say, I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the fight. Can we get together and talk? Can you hold me accountable? Can we process this? Can we just together pursue Jesus? And I'm like, oh, Lord, yes. Thank you. Because not only does it bless them, but it blesses me. Not only does it bless me, but it blesses you to know that we all struggle together. We're all fighting the good fight. And we all have been called, like we're called to in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, to fight the good fight of the faith and to take hold of the eternal truths that we were, called, that we were committed to in the presence of many witnesses. 
Holiness is something that we pursue together, and it brings the church together. It gives us a love for one another. It gives us respect for one another. When we can lay aside the things that God has put upon our hearts and live in that foundation that God has already established. And that's what Peter says here. In verse 23, that word, word, is metaphorical for Jesus. People, grass, flowers, all of those things, all of these earthly things are going to fade away. But the foundation of Jesus, your work that you're trying to do by yourself, it's going to fade away. It's going to fail. You're going to be left wanting. But when you pursue Jesus, when you live a holy life out of response for what he's done for you, you will endure. You will find hope. You will experience the lift of Jesus. And it's a beautiful decision. And it's a journey that we share in together. Friends, the pursuit of holiness is one that glorifies God and is celebrated in his bride. And it's one for you, and it's one for me. Well, Peter wraps up this passage, and he finally gets to kind of listing out some sin, some things that we need to set aside. And he's built this beautiful foundation, and hopefully that's being passed forward here today. He builds this foundation, and now he gives a strong challenge um, for these early believers. But I think it's so relevant and so practical to this world that we live in today, where he calls on us to set aside our old way of living and once again embrace the new life that Jesus has for us. There's no question that this world was dark. There's no question that this world was hard. But so too is the world that we're stepping into here today. And as we look at this world that we live in, we say, how do we start to step forward in this? Peter says, choose the better way. He says, get rid of the malice and the deceit and the hypocrisy and the envy and the slander of every kind. I think we could take some liberty and and even expound upon that. Get rid of the jealousy, get rid of the contempt, get rid of the anger, get rid of the rage, get rid of the over-consuming, get rid of the lust, get rid of the pride, get rid of the laziness, and more. The list goes on and on and on. These are things that are vices that continue to cripple us and tear us down and pull us away from relationship in a heavenly sense and in an earthly sense. And Peter says, be done with it. There's a better way. You're not going to find hope because you have more than someone else. You're not going to find hope because you get even with someone else. You're not going to find hope because you can hold on to something in your hands. You're going to find hope in Jesus. And so get rid of these vices that are crippling you and put on the virtues of Jesus. Grace, hope, mercy, love. Deny yourself the things that are destroying you. And make intentional decisions to pursue relationship. So what does that look like? As we're here on April the 15th and, and, and we are Christians who are hungry to find pathways forward in the hard and dark spaces that we journey in, what does that look like? Let me suggest a couple of things. One is that we daily choose to pursue Jesus. And whether that means we're reading the scriptures or we're praying, we're journaling or we're fasting, Daily, we're, we're making decisions to pursue a relationship with Jesus, but then also with each other. So it might be here that you, it might be that you're here this morning and you're like, oh man, there's some things in my life that I'm holding on to that I know the Holy Spirit's being laid upon my heart that I have to let go of. Bitterness or anger, uh, a power struggle, rage, whatever it is. 
I've got to let this go. The way that we pursue holiness is that we shed those things off. We, we ask for forgiveness from Jesus. We repent. We confess our sins. We take the power out of a secret in life, friends, when we talk about it. And so that addiction that, that Dwight had to alcohol, the thing that started the process of transformation was confessing his sin and coming to Jesus. That struggle that you have with fill in the blank, the, thing that I, the struggle I have with fill in the blank, the, the, the pathway to transformation starts when we bring it before Jesus. And sometimes that requires that we go to one another and we do business with each other. The Bible's very direct on this. When we come to the communion table in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that we need to come with, with um, right relationship with each other. Jesus makes a big deal about this. And not, it's not just for communion, but it's in our Christian lives and in our Christian experience. We make things right. We pursue God and we make things right with each other. These things, they plague us. And these things don't lead us to hope uh, and, and they don't help us step forward, but instead they hang over us like a cloud. And for many of us here on earth, we've been holding on to these things for years. I don't know what kind of hell you're living in, but friends, hear me when I say that Jesus has more for you. He wants to set you free. And that peace that you're holding in your hand that you're trying to control, that peace that you're holding in your heart that you can't let go of, Jesus has so much more for you. If you'll just come to the place where you say, I've had enough. The struggle is too much. It's gone too far. It's too dark. It's too hard. And so Jesus, I'm giving it to you and I'm asking you to show me the steps that I need to take moving forward. Jesus has more, and these things haunt us in our minds. And I'm not going to keep listing out the sins that you may or may not have. I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit is implanting those and, and putting those thoughts into your mind right now, the things that we, you need to deal with and things that I need to deal with. But Jesus has more, friends. Hear me when I say this. He wants to lift you. He wants to carry you. He wants to show you that he cares, that he's good, that you can trust him, that you can rest in him, that he loves you so much that he died on the cross. He paid the ultimate price. And so come and live and pursue holiness out of that foundation and out of that relationship. Because what's ahead of you is so sweet and so rich. When we look at the brokenness of our neighborhoods, when we look at the brokenness of our lives, of our communities, of our country, of our world, Jesus says you don't have to settle for that. That we can find victory and strength when we rest in him. And when we choose to lay aside the vices of our life and choose to live into the life that he's called us to. Friends, life is hard. There have been so many times in recent days when I've looked at my life, even this past week, and I, I look at my kids and I say, oh, how I long that my kids could have experienced what Christian life was like 30 years ago. I'm going to be 40 this year, ashamedly. 40 years old, and the world has changed so much over the last 40 years. But does it mean hope, that hope is gone? Does it mean that my joy is robbed? Not at all. There's good news, friends, that Jesus has paid the price. There's great things to come. There's great spaces to step into. There's great opportunities that are coming even in this land of Canada. 
And they come when we pursue Jesus by ourselves and together. Peter is reminding us here that the pathway forward to finding hope is a pathway with Jesus. And so much of of the, the pain and the suffering that we experience comes when we submit to the vices of our life. And yet they can be shed off as we pursue a life and relationship with Jesus. So can I encourage us this morning? You might be sitting here thinking, I didn't even want to come today. I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm not sure why this life is so hard. I'm not sure why card after card after card that I'm dealt is just the pits. There's a better way. Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus has something better and richer for you. So as we sing this last song, I want to encourage you to open your heart once again to Jesus. And I'm just going to trust that as we sing this last song, the Holy Spirit is going to lay some of the things upon our hearts that we need to shed off. And Sometimes the first step in that journey is a hard step, but friends, let me tell you that the, that the, the uh, place that we get to on the other side is so worth it to try again. Jesus wants to set you free. So as we're singing this song, I want you to pray and ask God to search your heart and reveal all the offensive ways within you and within me. And as God does that, I'm going to come back up and we're going to have an opportunity to pray and to, to repent of those things, not out loud in your personal way. And uh, we'll come up in a moment's time. But let's sing this song. Let's declare these truths and let's embrace the life that Jesus has placed in front of us. Let's sing together.